Happy Sunday, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Ask a Lawyer. I'm Kelly J. Lewis, and with me, as always, is Oklahoma Indian Legal Services Executive Director, Stephanie Hudson. Stephanie, there is so much craziness going on within the law enforcement community. There, there, <laughs> there needs to be some changes, and uh, that's been coming for a long time, I think. So let's start with this story that I saw in USA Today. And the headline says, police act like laws don't apply to them because of qualified immunity. They're right. So what is qualified immunity? What qualified immunity is, is it gives police officers immunity from a suit, from somebody suing them. When police officers are doing their job, they need to be able to do it without fear that somebody's going to come and sue them. What the idea of immunity it comes from is it comes from the idea of sovereign immunity. You know, uh, a lot of us tribal members, we hear that term in terms of um, when tribes, when they're doing business doing business with the state or doing business with somebody who's a non-tribal member, then um, that person who's suing the tribe, it needs to be something that's, you know, within the tribal boundaries. It needs to be something that the tribe has agreed to. Um, We can't just have people coming in from the outside and, and suing tribal members just, you know, for a variety of reasons that aren't related to, to that status. And that's that's kind of where the idea of um, immunity, police qualified immunity, it's kind of the same idea that um, people can't sue police officers just because they got arrested. Police officers need to know that they have the ability to be able to be, um, you know, uh, keep the peace and that they can do whatever they need to do in order to keep the peace, but that requires um, good judgment, what qualified immunity, qualified police, um, police qualified immunity, what that's looking for is an officer who is doing their job in a reasonable way. So that, that's what qualified immunity is, is it gives the police officers the ability to do their job, to do their job in a reasonable way. What would a reasonable officer do? And if they arrest somebody, they, they don't have to worry that that person is going to sue them just because they've arrested them. That word reasonable, though. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Who decides? Yeah, and that, that's what it circles or Exactly. That's what it circles around is centers around that is what would a reasonable officer do? But who decides what's reasonable? Because as we're seeing, what we're seeing a lot of is a lot of what I would deem unreasonable behavior. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why you're seeing this come up in the in the news right now. The idea to get rid of 
police qualified immunity. There's federal legislation that has been introduced just just in the past you know week or so. Um, it's called the Justice and Policing Act, and what it would do is it would limit the amount of police qualified immunity. And actually, there's um, uh, Justin Amash. He's an independent from Michigan. Mm-hmm. He um, he was thinking about running for president and then decided not to. He uh, wanted to just eliminate qualified immunity. You know, he he you know just you know he's a libertarian and he you know thinks that you know there's no reason why there should be any type of qualified immunity. It, the the idea of qualified immunity it doesn't it, it's not something that's in the Constitution of the United States. Um, what it is is it's uh, it, it's comes from Supreme Court opinions, just like sovereign immunity for tribes comes from Supreme Court opinions. And it's something that uh, the, the Supreme Court has, uh, has uh, made decision on cases, and those cases have become law. So Congress can pass a law that gets rid of it. The Supreme Court can hear cases that change the law, and um, actually, there is uh, some Supreme Court cases that are being considered right now uh, in which people are asking that the Supreme Court limit the limit how far they have gone in this qualified immunity. Um, one of the cases that I saw when I was looking this up was they're, they're considering a case right now where, uh, and I forget where it was, but police had requested to come into somebody's house. They, were, they asked a lady, can we come into your house and look for your ex-boyfriend? We're looking for him right now. She, she said yes. You may come into my house and look for him. And while they were doing it, they proceeded to trash her home. They tear gassed inside the house and made the house unlivable for two months. So what she did was she filed a lawsuit, a civil rights lawsuit, saying that you violated my civil rights by trashing my house and making it unlivable for two days after I gave you consent to search the house. And what the appeals court ruled in that situation was that the police department could not be sued because they had qualified immunity. So she took the case up to the Supreme Court and said that, you know, qualified immunity needs to be eliminated in this situation because they violated my civil rights when I gave them the right to come in and and, uh, search my house. They trashed it. So that's, that's kind of where we're at right now is, you know, the, that it's, uh, it's case law right now. It's, it's law that has been put in place by the Supreme Court of the United States. And, you know, in our atmosphere where we're at right now, um, there's federal legislation that has been introduced to limit qualified immunity of police officers. There's cases going through the Supreme Court. I'm, I'm not sure how amenable the current Supreme Court would be to limiting uh, qualified immunity for police officers, but um, that's kind of where we stand. But also what I want to point out is that the qualified immunity, it doesn't just apply to police officers. It applies to any government workers. So this qualified immunity, it applies to firefighters, it applies to uh, municipal employees, you know, you know, uh, 
people who are doing road work and sewer work in our cities. It applies to um, state social workers and it applies to teachers too. Wow. That's. So it's, it's, you know, it's another one of those things that, you know, that we're trying to deal with right now in our, in our society. And, you know, the scales, the scales of justice, the scales of fairness in our society. Uh, somebody has to temper, you know, where, where, when that scale drops down too far and, you know, how do we balance it back up again? Well, I think that we're seeing a very clear line within the law enforcement community of which side these officers are on, so which side yeah. which some of them oh, are yeah. on and which side the others are on. And there's a very I, clear I, line. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that we're, we're experiencing um, the effects of, of policies and legislation that were put in place a while back and now we're just trying we're, we're seeing what happens with that type of uh, those types of policies and legislation let's talk about uh, the officers in Buffalo mm -hmm. that uh, their whole department quit over a yes. couple of their guys getting fired for pushing down that 75 year old man at the mm -hmm. anti-police brutality, brutality rally, of all things. Yeah. Um, th that speaks volumes. And not only are we talking about qualified immunity, we're talking about officers that have a union that further yes. protects them, that provides attorneys for them, that provides mm -hmm. all kinds of things for them. Yes. So how... I guess my question is, how do you start to change that? Because it's, gosh, it's such a complicated issue. Yes. Because it's, it's it, well, it is a, it's really a complicated, <laughs> I think what we're going through right now is just some very complicated societal issues. And, you know, you know, I, I think that, you know, the way that, you know, big issues like this are changed are by people speaking up and by citizens speaking up. Um, you know, what, what, you know, what, uh, you know, the organization I work for, you know, we're, we're there to, you know, protect, protect, you know, the, individuals who are having issues that relate to the problems that they're having because they're Indians and you know the things that we're seeing going on in the world right now it's uh, you know it's a societal problem that um, black people are facing because they're black and um, you know the the Indians have some federal laws in place to protect them, but you know there, there's not there's not federal laws in place necessarily that uh, well you know there's civil rights acts, but I don't think that they're being enforced. I think that's what I'm trying to say is that you know we we just don't see some of the civil rights acts being enforced the way that they should be, and the only way that we're going to get those properly enforced is by people speaking up. Well, and especially when you're looking at Southwest Oklahoma, particularly Western mm -hmm. Oklahoma, 
It is the yes. Wild West out here. Uh, there oh, was yes. an article. There's an article out right now. It, it was a huge thing. And what I couldn't figure out is if the local media was for this or against it. I, mm -hmm. I could not figure that out because it was a huge story about the Canadian County Sheriff's Office here. Uh, yes. Wanting to uh, uh, looking to get a posse together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when uh, what, what's so concerning about that, you know, I, I see some people, you know, the way I saw it presented on TV was the sheriff said, you know, I, I'm looking for people to come out here and help. I, I need people who can come sit in the office and take phone calls. I need um, doctors who can be ready in case there is uh, an emergency where we need doctors. Uh, and I also need, uh, you know, former law enforcement and former military, and we can make them reserve officers. Well, um, you know, there's, I think that there's different ways to say that. Um, just, you know, just from the work that I do and the background that I come from, um, when, in Western Oklahoma, when you say you're going to put a posse together, well, not just in Western Oklahoma, in, the, in Oklahoma in general. In the world, Oklahoma I'm going to say. Yeah, the, <laughs> Oklahoma has this horrible, horrible history of um, lynching black people, of, uh, you know, killing, killing Native Indians. Americans. Yeah, has this horrible has a horrible history of that, and we weren't taught about this in in history books. I, you know, I've said this before: is that I had a coach's Oklahoma history professor, and we never talked about um, the Tulsa race, uh, the Tulsa race uh, massacre, and you know, we barely talked about the Trail of Tears and stuff. And when when some when a law enforcement officer puts out public information that he wants to establish a posse, I think the optics of that is not, not real cool. <laughs> it, it just leads people to believe that, you know, I better not be in that county after the sun goes down. That's, that's what it, that's what it tells me based upon my experience and my understanding of what, what posses were. And and it and it worries me when um, public officials do something like that. On the larger scale, yes, especially in the wake of all of these law enforcement officers across the country, we're starting to see so many cases of these officers just running rampant, and their commanding officers and their administration just well. We don't think it was that bad, so mm -hmm. they get yeah. to be on a paid administrative leave for the next two weeks. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you know, then come back to work, and know, everybody will forget about it. Uh huh. What What I'm really concerned about is, you know, right now we're in this place where people feel really they they really feel that they have this ability to be able to speak up about their concerns regarding Black Lives Matter. And there's more 
you, you hear more voices speaking up in support of that. And, and I think that that needs to be done. There, there needs to be so many people who speak up about that right now. What, what I'm concerned about is, is it's going to settle down. People are going to get a little complacent about it. And we're, we're going to see you know, more officers who don't have that opinion. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm almost that person who's, you know, the half glass full person. And I think that, you know, we've, we've got a lot of officers out there who they, they, they are the reasonable officer. There's a lot of officers who are the reasonable officer out there, but we don't know which ones are. And I still, you know, have a lot of fear out there for, you know, our brown young men, our black young men and stuff, black young women, brown young women. I still have a lot of fear out there. And and I think that even though there's a lot of uh, support out there for you know, people of color and law and, you know, their interactions with the law enforcement, I still, 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 you know, want to tell young people that you, you, you still have to be on guard and you still have to, you know, protect your rights and protect yourself. You really do. And mm-hmm. it's just like you said, you just, you just never know. And it's such a dangerous, it's a day, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. To think about it. It and is. Then... Go ahead. But I, yeah, but I think the only way to, to change this is to keep doing what what we're doing. And, and, you know, this is well within everybody's rights to speak up, to peacefully gather and um, speak up about what their concerns are about what's going on in society right now. I think it's a major concern, too, that I, I, I'm not, okay, so I'd like to talk in our last, in our second, uh, mm-hmm. with our last about 10-ish minutes, uh, to talk about the defunding the police movement. Okay. Um, I want to talk about, uh, well, I guess there, there are people who feel strongly about it on both sides. What right. I understand it to be is taking demilitarizing the police taking mm-hmm. away yeah. a lot of uh access money that they get for um wartime equipment <laughs> and yes. reallocating those into community programs support programs not only for law enforcement yes. but for the citizens in the community that's what right. i get i do too i, I get that also I think that we should have more educated law enforcement officers. I think that there needs yes. to be a standard, and I think that there needs to be a national registry, not only for law enforcement officers, but for teachers. Yes. Teachers. Oh, who, yes. Yeah. We have, there's, Oklahoma's there's notorious a, for that. <laughs> Oklahoma's notorious for, for teachers who have uh, issues with... Uh, not being able to handle children properly and abusing children and then, uh, you know, interacting inappropriately with children. So, yeah, there it'd be great to have a registry of teachers. It'd be great to have a registry of police officers who have uh, miscon- records of misconduct. Uh, they, they go from one, one uh, municipality to the next municipality. So, but the defunding the police, um, it, it's 
it, it's a shocking statement to defund the police and people who uh, who do not understand what that means uh, are are furious about the idea that a a municipality a county would be left without law enforcement but if you read into what that movement is about it's exactly what you said um you know police officers they get called out on uh calls in which um you know somebody need you know there there's elder abuse going on in the situation and you need a you need a social worker there who can be able to deal with that situation uh you get calls where you know somebody is off of their medications and they're schizophrenic and you know um police officers do not know how to deal with somebody who is uh um in that situation, you know, what, what they're taught is to, you know, to uh, physically deal with a person who's out of control like that. And you need special training in order to be able to do that. And most, most, uh, most uh, police officers probably don't have that type of training. If, if money can be invested in mental health, uh, mental health workers and the social workers and the counselors, you know, counselors who can show up at, you know, when children are removed from custody, you know, they, they usually call DHS, but that takes a while to get a DHS worker out there, a, a, a child protection worker out there. What if you had a worker who, you know, was there with the, on the police department and stuff, so... But there, there's so many other resources that can be put into the community uh, rather than uh, spending, like you said, spending it on uh, urban assault of vehicles with machine gun turrets in these little bitty suburbs surrounding Oklahoma City. War Acres is ready to go to war. <laughs> War Acres is great. <laughs> like four blocks. What is it like? Take four city blocks. <laughs> <laughs> I came upon that. I came upon that vehicle when we were down in Oklahoma City yesterday, and and uh, you know I go through War Acres all the time, and you know there's a you know my favorite Mexican restaurant and my favorite favorite frozen custard place, and I thought, why do they need an urban assault vehicle at? <laughs> They heard an Indian was coming through there on a regular basis. See what you did? I guess so. There's <laughs> <laughs> just nice people who live in War Acres. Why are they in an urban assault vehicle? <laughs> but that isn't that the question, though? And who are they going to use that against but the people of War Acres? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, exactly. And why do you want to exactly. intimidate those people? I mean, why? I know, I know it. <laughs> I always thought there was just a bunch of retired people who live there. So, <laughs> one of my good friends and her husband lives there with their friends. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so yeah, salt of the earth, right? Like uh, exactly. But but that is a part of the larger issue. And and hey, I'm okay. With some of that reallocated funds to support services for the law enforcement officers themselves, absolutely, exactly. Uh huh. But you know, but But like sensitivity training and things like that, and implicit bias training. Some of these officers don't even take that seriously. No, they don't. They don't. 
And so how no, I, I've participated in trainings like that. And, and it, um, most of the, most of the departments that I, you know, done that training in the past with, you know, listened to it and participated and talked about how, you know, their off, their department could be better because of it. Uh, there is one one uh, department in particular in Southwest Oklahoma. We had to stop the training because they they were just so rude and disruptive during the training that you know it, you could tell that leadership was not, did not buy into what we were trying to train them on. So did you just ask them to leave and continue? Um, we just watered down the training just in order to get it done because they weren't listening. God. And that's really scary to me. And, and especially mm-hmm. here in Southwest Oklahoma, and we're talking about, um, what, what were t- immunity we're talking about yeah, qualified uh, immunity. Qualified yeah. immunity. And mm-hmm. so with our last couple of minutes, <laughs> how do we how do we start to, as citizens to really start that change because there's n- really nothing we can do about that. Mhm. No, huh? It th- this is um, you know, federal law that's going to have to change. You know, one of the things that we as citizens can do is we can write to our legislators and um, educate them about what we're seeing in our community and what our concerns are and just tell them that, you know, I I just want you to know what's going on in my community and I, I want you to, you know, do what what is best uh, what you think is best for the people in our community based upon what I'm seeing in the community. I, I think that you know legislators and uh, uh, city council people um, are you know state legislators that they just need education. There's so many people calling them vote this way, vote that way. But I think if you can uh, talk, you know, get one of their um, one of their people who work for them, their staffers, and tell them, let me just tell you what I see in my community. Sometimes they need that. Well, I think, too, with so many citizens continuing to take to the streets, continuing this conversation, I mean, I am shocked and very happy that this conversation has continued as as yes. as long as it has i think we need more i think that we we're seeing and it's like i said we're seeing a very clear line between agencies and uh local departments we're seeing a very clear line of who is willing to change that and work with their communities and who are doubling down who's doubling down Mm -hmm. and who's going to make that effort to make sure that the brown people stay down yes let's um so with our last couple of minutes let's talk about um oils and yeah can you believe that we've um almost been on the air for a year with oils 
That's awesome. Isn't that, that crazy? Is, I, I, I think our partnership is uh, fabulous and oils really appreciates Top Jive helping us provide this, uh, this outlet to tribal members in Oklahoma. Well, I greatly appreciate it. It's so much fun. And we get to talk about things like this that we don't, it's like I said, I don't know. There's so many community members who don't know and who don't realize. I, I mean, and again, I just learned that the this applied to the police, let alone municipal workers and teachers. I mean, that's something that we're going to have to talk about on another show is how that affects education and within the school oh. districts. Yes, yes. Uh, it's it's all it's all a big puzzle that the, the pieces all interact with in, interconnect with each other. Well, and and this is something that we will say for later, but I want to say it so I can go back and listen to this and make notes. But <laughs> we need to make sure that you know I guess we keep on top of these cases that mm -hmm. are that are happening within yes. within our communities and yes. really kind of see like you said understand where these pieces connect and where these yes. different parts overlap mm -hmm. um, especially when you're talking about accountability and liability right um if something happens to you when you're in police custody you know, what, what kind of, what kind of recourse is there? And it's like I said, I know that we're out of time, but that is, that's gotta be a conversation that's talked about too, because we've, yes, there's just, there's still so much. So thank you so much for tuning in everybody. Don't forget if you've missed this conversation or any of our past episodes, all you got to do is go wherever you get your podcast, or you can go to the talk jive homepage and click the podcast tab. I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Stephanie Hudson, Oklahoma Indian Legal Services Executive Director. Uh, hey, don't forget, if you have any questions, you can always call Oklahoma Indian Legal Services or go online. You can actually access their homepage from our homepage. All you got to do is click that little oils icon and that will take you straight through. And if you have any questions about qualifications or anything like that, they'll be more than happy to help you. So make sure that you contact them over there. Great group of folks and um, Will's Clinics, they put those on and a lot of other things too that they're going to bring to your community very soon. So make sure that you keep up with them on social media and right here every week on Ask a Lawyer. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. Have a great day.